0: introducing mcdonald's new one two three dollar menu with favorites for one two or three dollars like the mcchicken the bacon mcdouble the happy meal and a weekend getaway with the husband and kids uh no but the one two three dollar menu could help you save for one especially if we leave the kids at home with grandma of course oh yeah build whatever meal you want with favorites on mcdonald's new one two three dollar menu Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.
1: Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Judy Hoberman. She is the executive director of the Walking on the Glass Floor Foundation and president of Selling in a Skirt. Judy has authored three business books, Selling in a Skirt, Famous Isn't Enough, and Pure Wealth for Professional Women, Sales Executives, and Entrepreneurs. Her latest book, Walking on the Glass Floor, Seven Essential Qualities of Women Who Lead, is an engaging, indispensable guide for women in leadership. Judy hosts a weekly radio show on the Women for Women Network, iHeartRadio, called Selling in a Skirt, and is featured as the gender expert on Fox News Radio. She has appeared on CNN, headlines, ABC, CBS, CW33, and Good Morning Texas. She was also on the cover of Exceptional People magazine, and is a frequent public speaker. In 2016, she gave a very well-received TED Talk about the impacts of prejudging people. Judy and I will be having a conversation about her passion in helping women live her skirt philosophy and her latest book, Walking on the Glass Floor. Good morning, Judy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning,
2: Good morning. I am so excited to be here. It's gonna—it's one of those days where everything is really awesome. So I'm like <laughs> all over the place. I'm excited.
1: Fantastic. The interesting part about it, both of us are in the DFW area, and thank goodness the sun is out, it's beautiful mm-hmm. out there, and it's really springy. <laughs>
2: it is, and it's, it's nice to see some sun for a change.
1: So true. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me this morning. Walking on the Glass Floor is a terrific read. It is wonderfully written with lots of heart. And by the way, congratulations on its official release today. May you experience awesome success.
2: Thank you so much. I just, we're putting it out there and people are just sending notes and emails and thanking me. And I'm just so excited, really so excited.
1: Fantastic. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment.
2: You know, it's interesting because I grew up in the in the 50s and when I was little, I remember distinctly my father telling me, "Girls don't do this, girls don't do this, girls don't do this." And when you think about what I do now, you can reach it back to what he said to me because I talk about what girls can do. So I started out, you know, being told I couldn't do this and I wasn't tall enough and I wasn't smart enough and I wasn't this enough, and as I went through my life, it keeps reappearing. And if you know anything about women, and I know you do, um, they the, those things reappear and they surface at the most inopportune times. So as a as a woman in business, when you walk into a conference room or when you walk to, in to give a proposal or you walk to meet a new client and all of a sudden you hear, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not this enough, and you have to rewind the tapes. So I started mm-hmm. out like that. I I came into um, many different industries. I was in um, commercial roofing. I was in construction. I was in burglar alarms. And then I went into insurance for a very long time. And my goal was always to protect other people's families because I was a single mom at the time, and my job was to protect my family. So if I could protect mine, why couldn't I protect yours? And that's what actually kept me going when, you know, things got tough or when it wasn't the best day. And as I started doing this, I realized that men and women do things differently. They speak differently, they ask questions differently, they they communicate differently they they do everything differently. and I was always the only female. so I had to come up with my own game plan. and I mm-hmm. do believe that that's what propelled me into what I do today, which is you know executive coaching and training and speaking, um, because I help women do the best that they can possibly do. And my tagline is women want to be treated equally, not identically. So we don't want to be men. You don't want us to be men. We just want an opportunity and then just let us go.
1: What led you to the business world?
2: Um, You know, it's funny. When I first started, my very first job was – Well, my very first job was selling Girl Scout cookies, but that was before you were allowed to actually go into your parents' office. This is when we actually went door-to-door. And Mm -hmm. I remembered what my customers had bought the year before because that to me said, well, if you like the Thin Mints, then you'll like them again, and here's some new ones. So I always Mm -hmm. had that kind of brain. But my very first job was being a fuller brush person. And anybody that remembers that, that was the true door-to-door and I learned two important lessons, which, which brought me into business. When the first door I knocked on was my mom's, and she said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you expect, right, you expect your mom to say yes, which she said no. But she told me two lessons, which was really mm-hmm. what brought me into the business world. The first lesson was just because somebody loves you doesn't mean they're going to buy something that they don't need. So mm-hmm. she said no because she didn't need anything. But the second right. lesson was is just because somebody loves you, they're going to refer you to their friends and family, which she did. And so mm-hmm. I always remember that in the business world, and that's what really took me into business was, okay, so if people like me, you know, they'll refer mm-hmm. me. And if they don't need it, they'll still give me you know, referrals. So that's really what started it all.
1: Very interesting. So you learn it kind of organically in terms of mm-hmm. just certain things that you can do because you realize that you're in the people business.
2: Right. And, and you know, if, if, if women are, so, are known to be such great relationship builders,
1: mm-hmm. then,
2: of course, if somebody likes you, they may not need what you have, but they know other people that do. Because I had plenty of clients that would say to me, look, I don't really need insurance. I don't need health insurance. I don't need life insurance. But my sister does. But but I really like you, and I want to make sure that I can keep you, you know, in my circle. So, you know, it was always fun like that.
1: Very interesting. Were there any family members that was in business that you sort of looked up to and kind of look at, see how they were doing? Obviously, you didn't go out there just cold and say, hey, I just want to be in business. Was there someone that you sort of admired?
2: Um, I actually didn't have too many people that were in business. I think most mm-hmm. of the people that I knew were in, you know, work for corporate America. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I the, my first position that was. It wasn't corporate, but it wasn't entrepreneurial. I was an independent mm-hmm. contractor, and that's, how, you know, that, that's the way I got my start. But I would look right. at people. You know, I had friends, parents that had businesses, and I would think, well, you know, that's pretty interesting. I wonder how that works, or that's interesting. I wonder how that works. So I mean, I always looked to see who I could find that was doing interesting things for me.
1: Interesting. So when does that curiosity shifted you to training people?
2: So when I was in insurance, and like I said, I was the only female, I didn't, we didn't have training. We, we really honestly didn't have training. It, you know, here's your brochure, go out there. Get in, get out, get the check. That's basically how we were trained. And so when I would be in front of somebody knowing that insurance was so important and so difficult, if they asked me a question that I didn't have the answer, I would open up the brochure and I'd say, okay, let's look and see what the carrier says. And so we would read together. And that's how I started to learn. I would read with them and they would read with me and, and so on and so forth. And then I thought, okay, so if I can make it easy for somebody else, I'm going to do that. And so I would start doing training in my office. I wasn't a manager. I was I was really nothing more than an agent. But I knew if I was having difficulty, so were they. So I started doing some training. Then when I got promoted, I started doing major training, and then I would do field training. And I really liked the fact that I could respond to people, I could hear what they were struggling with, and I could come up with some solutions with them, not for them, but with them. And so I started doing training. And then when I went into the corporate position that I had, I was in charge of all the training. And so, again, I got to hear what people were struggling with, and we would build training around it. And so I love doing that. And then when I started my company, I just continued it.
1: Why focus on female leadership?
2: You know, if you think about um, the companies, the corporations, the businesses right now, at the very top, there aren't a lot of women. There are more women than there were, but still not enough to say, wow, you know, there's a really good presence there. And why is that? And there's there's a million reasons why there aren't women in leadership. You know, it could be as simple as they don't ask for the promotion, they aren't offered the promotion, they are taking care of family, they you know, whatever. There's a million different ones. But the reason that I've thought about it was because if you take just financial, the financial industry, there's so many women that come in as producers, so many. But what happens as they go further up? You know, are there opportunities or what are they struggling with? And so – I thought that if we could get more women in leadership that Mm -hmm. would help men to see things from a different perspective and help the women see things from a different perspective and we can, you know, work together as assets rather than liabilities, wouldn't that be a great way to work? Because women bring certain – qualities to the table. Men bring other qualities to the table. And I used to team men and women up when I would send them out you know, to do field training because you could learn from each other. So why right. not bring more women into leadership? And that's really what the focus was. Why, are we, why do we not have more women? So
1: that's, that was my focus. Fantastic. You are in business or in the corporate world, so to speak, during the time of sort of a transitional period in a way, I would think. So during that time, what was the number one challenge for women to really make it to the corporate executive level?
2: You know, one of the things I always question is Mm -hmm. when somebody is, when there is a position that's available, why don't you ask someone if they even want it? And I'm not saying, oh, Johnny, do you want to do this? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a position, and I mean, because when I was, the first time I was promoted, no one asked. They just promoted me. And nobody asked if I could take on more responsibility. Nobody asked if I was able to balance anything. Nobody asked if I even wanted it. So I think that when, when you um, have positions in leadership, the timing has to be right. And it could be male or female. But I know, especially for because I am female, I can, I can talk from a female's perspective. If you asked women if they wanted a position of leadership and they weren't able to do it right now, they're not saying no, they're just saying not right now. And I think people assume that when you say no, it means never. So I, I do believe that there is all different ways that we can bring more women into leadership. And I think that the first, start, the first thing to start with is find out why they want it, if they want it, and, you know, and, and what the, their goals are.
1: Very interesting. That's true, though. When I was in the corporate world myself, I promote people that can be promoted in the sense that or want to be promoted. When that happens, I may go down and take the second or the third person in line versus the very Mm -hmm. first person because if that first person is not ready as a whole from a family perspective and other obligations, personal obligations, then that would be a very bad move. I'd rather promote the third person in line who is so gung ho that energy sort of just move him to the next level of success far beyond our ability to move him because of the enthusiasm.
2: Absolutely. And you know, and it, somebody that is really that enthusiastic, they probably have um you know, a really good why mm-hmm. to be in that position. And that's what I'm saying, you know, we have to find out the why because the person that isn't as enthusiastic could be Maybe they don't show it, but it could be that maybe next year at this time, it could be their timing. And I do believe that timing has a lot to do with a lot of our successes.
1: Right, right, so true. Well, going back to what you were doing in the corporate world and maybe the first part of your personal entrepreneurship of owning your own company and so forth, were there some really very high points in your personal career as well as some low points? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, which ones do you want to really talk about?
1: <laughs>
2: you know, it, here's one of the things that, I, that I, it always makes me laugh. Because I was single at the time, I had the ability to work 24-7. And a lot of times I slept like three hours a night because I was, you know, trying to figure things out. But there's a lot of things that you don't, you don't do correctly. Like you don't eat right, you don't exercise, you don't really do anything, and that's not healthy. The other thing is, you know, when going into your own business, a lot of times people will say, well, it's just me, so I don't really have to do this or this or this, and I'm one of those people. Like, I thought, why do I need to have a business plan? It's just me. I know exactly what I want to do. Why do I need to have a business plan? Well, if you don't have a business plan, you can't measure anything. Then also, you're very unfocused because everything looks good. You're starting a business. This looks good. That looks good. This looks good. So you're not focused. I made mm-hmm. more mistakes. I had more low points than you can possibly imagine. I wrote a book about it. My second book, Famous Isn't Enough, <laughs> is all about the mistakes I made.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Be- because I thought if I could save you one minute or one dollar, then it was worth it. Because I certainly you know, went through money and time and energy and, oh my God, those are the low points. The high points is when somebody says to you, "Because of you, I didn't quit. Because you spoke today, you made my day. Or, or you made something so easy for me. Or you really listened to me." Th- those are the high points. When somebody thanks you and or or asks you for something, and and you know, and you can offer your time. Those are those are the high points. The low points you'll get. You know, you'll the lessons learned. There are things that you'll get through. The high points are the things you have to hold on to.
1: So true. You know? So true.
2: Yeah.
1: What's life's epiphany that led you to skirt? I love the acronym, by the way. <laughs> well, and, and
2: it's funny because you have to be careful how you brand yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Really,
2: you have to be careful because because my company is selling in a skirt, everybody naturally assumes that I'll always be in a skirt, which I am because I've already been called out once when I first started. Mm-hmm. But. For me, the skirt is an acronym, and it happened to spell out skirt. So, it's you know these were the five challenges that I faced in business, and that when I did surveys, these are the things that people faced, other people faced. So the first one is um, standing out. How many times have you tried to figure out how to get somebody to choose you to do business with? You know, standing out is a very difficult thing in this very, very noisy world. I mean, it's like incredibly noisy between social media and and all the things that are going on. So how do you stand out? How do people choose you? Why do people consider you the expert in your field? What is it that you're doing that people can say, I want to do business with her or him or them? You know, so that, that was the most important thing was the standing out. Like who, who's in your sandbox? Who do you want to play with? And how do you let them know that you are the, the resource for them? The K is uh, keys to success. So obviously you're doing something well. So how can we get that on steroids? So how do we really amp what you're doing and make you do it even better and make you do it more often and make you do it with the right people? so we you know the, that's that's the next piece the i is a is an interesting piece because it's inspiration so either you inspire others or you need to be inspired and part of that is your core values so if your core values and your goals are out of alignment how can you possibly be successful and it's very difficult when you work for a company who their core values are so different than yours and you try to go in every single day and it doesn't work so what is it that, that that keeps you together? The I uh, the R obviously in you know in sales is results. So mm. what are the results? How did you get the results? What did you do? How do you measure them? You know, what are the things that you, you do on a regular basis that you can measure to show what your success actually is? And how are you showing up? You know, how do people see you? How successful are you? What are the results that you're giving? Or is it, is it numbers of people or number of units? Or, or how do you count it? And then the T is the one that most people struggle with the most, and that's time management and it's trying to figure out how do we how do we have this balance what do we do with our time how do we prioritize it and you know why don't we do the same thing for business uh, for our personal life that we might do for business so how do you make sure that you don't forget the people that are home and you know so it's all, it's all of that that good stuff and so when you put it all together um when we do a training on it you come up with your own personal playbook there mm-hmm. the steps are the same but it's really focused on your business, on your company, on, on your skills, and it's, it's really powerful.
1: It has to be custom-tailored to the individuals, basically.
2: Well, it, it, yeah, but they custom-tailor it themselves because if I said to you, so right. what inspires you? And you said to me, what inspires you? It's two different things, but it's the same thing.
1: Right, right, you know? so true. When did that evolve to walking on the glass floor?
2: Oh... <sighs> So that evolved, walking on the glass floor started about two years ago because what happened was um, that, in 2016, my mission was to help one woman a day, just one. And you know, people would say, well, why not 10 or why not 100? No, no, I want to help one woman a day. And every time I would say that, whether I was speaking or I was coaching or I was training or it didn't matter where I was, somebody, a woman would raise her hand and say, can I be your woman today? And it's a very humbling experience when somebody does that to you. And so I thought, okay, so if I could do that, how do I do this on a bigger, uh, you know, on a a bigger journey and a bigger version? Mm -hmm. How do I make it so I can affect more people? So we came up with walking on the glass floor. And part of walking on the glass floor also has a foundation with it. And so the reason that it came to be was because we wanted to be able to donate a portion of the proceeds from the book back to foundations and charities and um, social causes and scholarships. And in order to do that, we needed a foundation. So walking on the glass floor came from helping one woman a day and turned into not only a book and training and everything else, but also a foundation where we're able to give back because that's truly my my goal in life is is to give back. And if I could do that every single day, and never have to worry about my mortgage company saying, Hey, you know, we'd like your mortgage. Um, I would do that. But you have to, you know, I still am a for profit company.
1: So true, I understand that. By the way, you're listening to from my mama's kitchen talk radio, our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Judy Hoberman. She is the executive director of the Walking on the Glass Floor Foundation and president of Selling in a Skirt. We're having a conversation about her passion in helping women lift her skirt philosophy and her latest book, Walking on Floor, Seven Essential Leadership Qualities for Women. Judy, why use the term glass floor?
2: So when you think about the glass ceiling, you're thinking you're crashing through this level and you, um, you know, you, you're, you're through it and then what? Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. happens? The glass floor is basically the flip side of the glass ceiling. So now you've done some of these amazing things. Now what? So the glass floor is where we want to keep you. Now we want to keep you there. You know, I always say recru- recruiting's easy. Retention is hard. So I want to keep women there. I want to keep the leadership there, women that are already in leadership. I want to keep the people, the emerging leaders. I want to bring them to the floor and keep them there. I want the men that champion women to be able to Pull more women in, so the floor is where you're going to be. You cr- you might have crashed through the ceiling already, or you're on the you're on the verge of doing it. We want you on the floor now. So it's really like the flip side if you if you think of a visual.
1: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. How did you come up with the seven essential leadership qualities?
2: You know, it, it's so funny, like how different topics come up year by year by year, and some things are really powerful and they stay a year or whatever. So one of the things that has been extremely popular this year, and everybody's asking you know, us to do uh, speaking and training, is about soft skills. Mm-hmm. And when you think about soft skills, everybody goes, oh, it's just for women, but it's not. Soft skills are the things that help you succeed. The hard skills, the technical skills might get you the position, the soft skills Help you succeed, so when I was thinking about the qualities, I was trying to think about some of the things that women inherently have, and we forget that they are leadership qualities and or we just keep pushing them down because we don't know their leadership qualities. And So, when I was trying to think about some of the things that you, you know I've experienced, I started asking questions to i don't know hundreds and hundreds of women, what are some of the the skills that you have that you don't use? that you would like to use more of and what are some of the skills that you use that you'd like to use less of. And it's, it's funny because we're all told to find your voice and take a seat at the table and to negotiate and so on and so forth, and those are really important, but there's mm-hmm. other things that are equally as important. And that's when, that's when we came up with the, the seven essential leadership qualities.
1: Fantastic. So what are they?
2: So the first one is passion. You know, you have to be passionate about what you do and it's, you know, it's not like you jump up every morning and go, oh my God, I'm so passionate. (laughs) You know, this is, you just have to love what you do and you have to show that you love what you do because when you have a team, if they see that you are um, loving it, they will as well, they'll learn to. When they see that you're putting your heart and soul into something, you know, that's what passion is. They, They always say, you know, if you, if you love what you do, you'll never have a job you know, so you have to be passionate about something. When I was in insurance, people would say to me, I don't even know what you're selling, but I need to meet with you because you're so excited about it. And I was, I was excited Mm -hmm. about insurance. I mean, that's kind of like an oxymoron, but I was because I knew that I could protect people. So that's passion. Mm -hmm. Authenticity is, you know, this is how you show up. Who are you? You know, we struggle with the people that are on social media that uh, you know, every move they make, they're showing things and they go to sleep and when they wake, wake up, they have 12 different new clients. And, you know, when you're thinking like, why can't I be more than like that and more like that, authenticity is you. Y- you know, you might be a goofball, but that's you. And that's what people want to <laughs> know. They want to know who you are, what makes you tick. And when you tell people, oh, I'm so authentic, and you're telling people, that doesn't work either. You have to be, you know, you have to let people see who you are and how you show up. Um, the third one is courage, and courage is a major, major leadership quality because you have to be strong enough to make the um, you know to do the things that may not be popular at the time. You have to be strong enough to carry your team sometimes, and you have to be strong enough to carry yourself. And so underneath courage is also confidence, and that's a huge one for women. So, So that's the third one. The fourth one is communication, and that one we could talk about for days and days and days because (laughs) men and women communicate differently in every aspect of their life. So communication is not only male-female, it's generational, and you have to communicate every day with people either to – to um, show what you have, to have somebody say, I want to buy from you, to do business, to ask questions, to listen, to do almost anything. So communication is vital. How do you get jobs done? How do you get projects done before the deadline? Um, the next one is decisiveness. And that is truly just making a decision. Not making a decision is making a decision. And we make you know, tens of thousands of decisions every year. And, but the first mm-hmm. one we make every single day is, do I get up? Or do I hit my snooze alarm? And that's the first decision, and that's what starts your day. So, And a lot of people say, well, I'd rather do business with men because when they make a decision, they just whip out their credit card and, and they do it, and women want to collaborate and they want to ask questions and so on. So decisiveness is big. Resilience is bouncing back. Mm-hmm. So you had a really horrible day, you had a horrible week, you had a horrible year, do you just, like, crawl up in your bed and say, I'm done and I quit? Or do you find the lessons that you learned and you are able to really um, uh, move forward and not make the same mistakes? Because when you make the same mistakes, it's a choice. It's no longer a mistake. So resilience is, you know, I mean, we can lump a few of these together, but resilience really is having the courage to, go, to move forward. And then the last one is my favorite, which is generosity. And being generous simply means that you are giving and you are um, a leader, and you are an influencer. And to me, being generous, you know, when I ask people, so give me a definition of being generous, and they'll always say, well, you have to give money. It has nothing to do with money. You can be as generous as you want financially, but that's not what this is about. This is about giving your most expensive asset with nothing expected in return. And your most expensive asset is your time. Mm
0: -hmm. And so I
2: always tell you that if you could be a mentor, It's the most incredible experience, but it also is the most valuable one. So that's what it is, passion, authenticity, courage, communication, decisiveness, resilience, and generosity.
1: Fantastic. In your years of experience of training, which one of this is the most difficult one to embrace?
2: I'm going to say that I still think that courage is the hardest one. Mm-hmm. because when you break down courage there's so many different pieces in there and like i said you know there are so many um groups and when we talk about courage it goes right to um confidence and confidence is something that we we struggle with every single day we do, and and again, like I said earlier, you know, sometimes those old tapes start playing. And when you are a high-powered female executive, and you walk into a room, and you you hear what your father said, or what your brother said, or what your mother said, or I'm too fat, I'm too short, I'm too this, I'm too that, and you're walking into this room, and it and the tapes start playing, you have to figure out how to, uh, you know, attack it head on. You know, rewind the tapes and just go forward. So confidence mm-hmm. is is powerful and it is probably one of the hardest things to really get through.
1: Very interesting. You talk about passion. Passion Mm -hmm. to me is like in the career situation, career to me is a hobby that you do and you get paid for it and hopefully a lot of money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When does a passionate drive becomes a hindrance?
2: You know, I I think that When you talk about passionate and a passionate drive, I don't know if it ever really becomes a hindrance until Mm -hmm. you can't make anything happen with it. When you just said, you know, like, you you know, uh, your work is a hobby, I think that Mm -hmm. one of the things that I hear all the time from uh, when it's, you know, the financial industry or real estate or something where it isn't necessarily a nine-to-five job, people always say, can you help my team? take this more of a business than a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I was a realtor and I was very passionate about what I did, but I only sold one house every year, I might mm-hmm. be as passionate as, as anything, but it's a hobby. So, you know, you have to take all that into consideration. So I think that when you, when you really think about being passionate about something, you think about some of the very um, famous Uh, entrepreneurs like Sarah Blakely, who did Spanx, or Mrs. Fields, Mm -hmm. who did cookies, they could have easily had this passion become a hindrance if they didn't do anything. You have to have action. You have to take action to do something, and you have to do it on a consistent basis. And I think that when you have so much passion, it's hard to put in the tenacity, and it's hard to put in, you know, the the, uh, implementation if you really only want to bake a pie here or there, or if you really only want to sell a house once in a while. So that's when, that's when you know, if you're so passionate about something, but you're also not business savvy, it, it could be a hindrance. Does that make sense? Very
1: interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. And also, to me, I feel like, on the other hand, if you're so passionate about something, you might have your blinders on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and then when you have your blinders on, then you also miss opportunities.
1: That's right. And, that's right.
2: You know. Yeah, so there, there's just so many different pieces of that, you know, and the other part is then you, you have to decide what's an opportunity and what's simply a distraction, and there goes back to your, your hindrance and there goes back to the hobby versus a business. Oh, my goodness, it's like, the, you know, a, it's a whole <laughs> mix master.
1: <laughs> right, right, so true. Talking about opportunity, how do we separate the view of an opportunity from an opportunistic thought?
2: well, that's also part of your core values. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to decide, is this really an opportunity or, you know, am I just going to do something that is, uh, I'm an opportunist. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, for me, an opportunity is something that is right in front of you. And some people just miss it. You just miss it because you blink or you're looking down or whatever else. But um, if you are a truly authentic person and you are a truly passionate person and we're putting all of these qualities together when you see an opportunity it is something that you're not going to have an opportunistic thought because it's an opportunity which is so very different Um, for me I like the fact that there are things that unfold right in front of me but if I'm not looking and if I'm not um, able to receive it then it's no longer an opportunity for me, and then it just disappears. So I'm constantly looking for an opportunity, but I'm also very conscious of not looking for an opportunity that's going to be a distraction, because I am a shiny object girl, and everything looks good to me, so I have to be very (laughs) careful. No, seriously, I have to be very careful.
1: (laughs) Very interesting. That's true. That's true. I look at opportunity as it's the external. In other words, it's the third party, Mm -hmm. and... From an opportunistic standpoint of view, I'm looking at myself. So the reward, opportunity is rewarding others. Opportunistic Mm -hmm. is rewarding me. It's a me thing.
2: Yes, yes. Absolutely, and so are, you know that, and that's what I'm saying. So, in the when you're thinking of the opportunity, is it something that you really could do something for others, or is it really you're know, thinking like, well, you know, I can just you know make some money on this and not care about anybody else? And that goes back to your core values. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yep.
1: And that's I great. Like I mean, I'm glad you touched that because opportunity is a win-win. Opportunistic mm-hmm. is a win-lose.
2: Absolutely, scenario. without question. Ugh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about authenticity a little bit. How important is authenticity in leadership?
2: Well, it's just about everything in leadership because if you are following someone, you know, if, if I'm on your team and you're my leader and you're not authentic, then how authentic can I be? And how authentic should I be? And how am I supposed to know what's real and what's not real? And how do I know if you're, you know, handing me just a line of stuff just to get stuff done, or if you truly believe this? So authenticity is how you show up, and how you show up even when others aren't looking. You know, you never know who mm-hmm. is watching silently and not ever saying anything. You know, there's there so many different pieces to being authentic. But, you know, you, you it, it, a lot of people always say, you know, are you are you any different when you're on stage or when you're not on stage? I'm the same exact person, the same exact person. I tell you what I think because I'm a New Yorker. I, you know, I'm originally from New York, so I'll tell you exactly what I think, but not – to be malicious just because I believe that you should know how I feel but I also have again I have core values I will share them I will make sure you understand who I am inside and out and if I'm a leader if I'm the leader of the department the leader of the company the leader of the business it doesn't matter I'm going to give you what I you know who I am I'm not going to make I'm not going to tell lies I couldn't tell lies anyway because I can never remember them but you know (laughs) But, you know, I, I mean, I just think that you have to know who the person truly is, what, what makes them tick, what do they believe in, what don't they believe in, what are deal makers, what are deal breakers. And in leadership, you have to be the kind of person that people are going to gravitate to and follow. And as a, as a really good authentic leader, your job is to help them get to the level where, you know, they promote you right out of your position because that's being authentic. That's what they want. If, if that's what they want, that's what you help them do.
1: That's true, and I like the fact that you really mention authenticity as personal branding because mm-hmm. the brand is so important
2: absolutely you're you're you are your brand, mm-hmm. you know when people think of brands, they think of the logo, they think of the color that's not you're your personal brand, yeah, there might be things that people recognize about you, you know there are people that have you know the red hat that they wear or you know whatever that's uh, that's part of your personal branding, but you're but your personal branding is how you show up. What do you bring when you enter the room? What you know, and you want somebody that is authentic. So when they do enter a room, you know that okay, this is a person I can count on. This person, you know, will have my back. Whatever it is, but they have to be real. You you can't be someone you're not. I I had two um, male um, insurance agents. One was like six five and you know this big guy, and one was five eight. Two totally different things. It was like, um, like Schwarzenegger and DeVito, like twins. They were always <laughs> together. But the shorter one was a real an amazing salesperson, amazing. And the taller one got to be amazing. But one week he came in with no business, and I said, what's going on? He said, nothing, just a, a tough week. And this went on for two or three weeks. Finally, he said he wanted to be the other one. Mm-hmm. And I said, but that's not even being authentic. He said, I know, but he's so cool and everybody likes him, so I'm going to try to be him. And I said, is it working? He said, no. I said, go back to being you. He did, and he wrote business. So you have to be authentic because, you're, you, you know, people can smell it. People can see it when you're not being you. Mm-hmm. And, and if once, once people lose trust or respect, it's hard to get it back.
1: That's true. So true. What feminine qualities are best leadership practices?
2: Oh, my goodness, there's a lot of them. But I would say, you know, um, empathy mm-hmm. and building relationships and nurturing. And I'm not talking about coddling. I'm just talking about, you know, there are people when they give feedback, they scream and yell at you. There's all different ways of doing that. So being empathetic and being sympathetic. And I also think that, you know, again, generosity is a good part of it, um, mm-hmm. um you know, so there, there's, a, there's a number of them, but, but women have different traits than men do. And sometimes we score higher on the softer skills, but sometimes, you know, men do as well. We are known for building relationships. In leadership, that's what you want. You want people to build relationships so they know that there are places that they can go to. There are people they can ask questions of. Being um, generous and being a mentor is a, a really good feminine quality, but there are more and more men that are getting into the softer side of mentoring but you know there are statistics out there that sixty five percent of all women that are mentored become mentors and it 's a really good cycle so there mm-hmm. again is a feminine quality but really it 's more about the being empathetic and being able to have the converse, having the tough conversations and not having, um, you know, a screaming match, having things there where you can show emotion but not be emotional.
1: So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Judy Hoberman. She is the Executive Director of Walking on the Glass Floor Foundation and President of Selling in a Skirt. We're having a conversation about her passion in helping women Live, her good philosophy, and her latest book, Walking on the Glass Floor: Seven Essential Leadership Qualities for Women. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Judy, we talked about this before. We talk about the courage and confidence. How mm-hmm. do one create and cultivate confidence in the workplace, and is it something easily done?
2: Confidence is, like like we t- we talked about, it is a very difficult um, trait to over you know if you if you don't have self-confidence it's a difficult trait to overcome however by giving somebody um you know some kind of affirmations and by giving somebody telling somebody that they have done a good job or or shown that what they've done affected other people in the company or whatever they start to build confidence and some of the things that you know you can learn to be more confident but you have Mm -hmm. to also learn the way that it works for you. Now, a, a lot of times for me, I like to speak in front of people, and I get a lot of confidence when I do You know, I am confident when I do it because I love to do it. You imagine somebody that hated to do it, you pushed them in front of it, and, and they're done. So that doesn't work. So you have to find out what makes people feel good. We did a survey about, like, what confidence is and when do you feel most confident. And some of the things that we heard were people feel the most confident when they're prepared. So if you already know that there are people on your team that are struggling with confidence, don't give them like a pop quiz in front of everyone where you go, gotcha, you know, you weren't ready. Mm-hmm. Give mm-hmm. them some time to prepare because that's what people like to do. So that's when they feel the most confident. And it's very interesting. When you have just a room of women only, they will share the things that make them feel less confident. When you add men into the dynamics, they're not gonna share it as quickly or or at all because (laughs) they're already feeling less confident. So a lot of times I'll do um, workshops with women only and we work on confidence. And the interesting thing is, you know, I always talk about there's a four star general in the army who is the surgeon general and she's in charge of how many people? Tens of thousands of people. And when they did an article about her, one of the questions they said was, what's your biggest challenge? And she said, confidence. And when Mm -hmm. you tell women that, all of a sudden you can see them, you know, like they're breathing and they go, okay, if she struggles with it, then I can struggle with it as well. So confidence is is a tough one, but if you work through it, if you have somebody that is empathetic, somebody Mm -hmm. that can ask the right questions, and somebody that gets you, you know, if, if you are only confident because you're, you know, you're good in your job and you're prepared and everything, then we have to make sure that that's what we're going to do. If you're confident when you're working one-on-one, then that's a way we can make sure you get more confidence. You know, so it, it, it's, it also takes a really good um, leader to listen. When you listen, you, you learn an awful lot.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: just have to listen. Yep.
1: So true. I like it when I look for something that's right. To start off the conversation Mm -hmm. and that sets the tone to whereby it increases one's level of confidence and then we go into things that we have an area to work on areas of opportunity basically
2: right and I love the fact that you said area of opportunity because I never talk about challenges I always talk Mm -hmm. about opportunities for growth it just sounds so much better right you know
1: right (laughs) wonderful what is your art of listening? You talk a lot about listening in your section and the communication and so forth. So, what is your art of listening?
2: Well, the truth of the matter is that most people have trouble listening. It, it is not easy to do, and you can't do it for a long time. And when somebody mm-hmm. asks you, "Are you an active listener?" You know, that's a relative term because what does that mean? You know, can I listen for a minute? Can I listen for an hour? So one of the things I do is when I am sitting down with someone, the very first thing I say is, are you okay if I take notes? Now, most people are going to say yes. There's very few people that would say no. But when I take notes, it does two things. One, it forces me to listen because I'm taking notes. But two, I'm listening to what they're saying in their words, and so there's nothing better that for, a, you know, a salesperson when somebody says, wow, you were really listening, because I can repeat back what they said to me in their words, because mm-hmm. I'm listening. The other part of it is that I ask a lot of questions. I have been dubbed the question queen. You, you know, you can ask my husband. Mm-hmm. He will say, oh, my God, yeah, she has so many questions. And when I used to walk into the room, people would roll their eyes because they'd think, how many more questions could she possibly have? But if I'm interested in something, yeah, you can laugh too because you know it's true. If, you know, if, if I'm interested, I ask questions. If I don't ask questions, I am not interested. And you know, right. so I I I tell people that. But if I'm asking you questions because I'm interested, I also have to listen to what you're telling me because I'll come back with, so is that is that exactly what we're talking about? And if you said no, I'm like, oh my god, I missed a whole thing here. So I don't really <laughs> I don't get that response at all because I truly listen yeah. and I truly have um, the questions that I ask. That's how
1: I listen. So true. So true. Mm-hmm. And listening is a tough one in a sense you're right when you mentioned like people to ask, well, how long do I need to listen before I can respond? And there's no magic bullet to that because some people look at it, well aren't we supposed to be having a dialogue, a conversation, which means five seconds I should interject in and give you my thought. And that's not necessarily bad, but it's certainly not necessarily good because to me, when someone wants you to listen, basically, you want to listen them into existence because they'll tell you everything you need to know.
2: Exactly. But now think about doing your show and think about having a guest because I, I recently had this where they don't stop talking, like ever, and they don't breathe, they just keep talking. And then what do you do? Because you don't want to be disrespectful, but you know that either the time's running out, or you have a question, or whatever it is, and, and, you know, so that's also, you know, really tough. It really is. But I will tell you, I was asked to do um, a workshop on active listening. Mm -hmm. It was for, for four hours, you cannot actively listen for 4 hours. You can't. It's impossible. Oh, sure, of course. Right? right. So, you know what? I I had to do like uh, I don't know, 15-20 different exercises getting them up and down and moving around and everything else. Well, we had such high scores on the on the um feedback that they mm-hmm. asked me to do 8 hours.
0: <laughs> so,
2: evidently, nobody was listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> How does boldness fit into decisiveness? Because this is critical. You want to be mm-hmm. decisive, and then in leadership, you've got to be bold as well. How does that work?
2: Well, you know, think about it. You know, how many, how many different decisions do we have to make? And some of them are really bold decisions. Some of them are just mm-hmm. so far out of left field and or there are also things that, you know, are not popular. So sometimes you have to make these, these majorly bold decisions, and people are not going to be happy, and people are not going to be um, liking you. But it's okay, because you don't have to be liked. You just have to be respected. I've had to make many decisions that are bold decisions, and I thought, oh, my goodness gracious, nobody's going to like me. And, and then I thought, well, yeah. what's the difference? You know, if it's better for the company or it's better for them or better for your clients or whatever, sometimes you just have to do it, and, and that's the hard part. You're not, it's not popular, and, you know, it just depends on what your personal feelings are about yourself because it's not about you, but you make it about yourself. So true. hmm
1: Talking about women at work now, does professional success requires the reformulation of the work-life balance equation?
2: Okay, I'm just going to say something, and you can, you can hang up on me if you want. There is no such thing as work-life balance.
1: <laughs> There's
2: no such thing as work-life balance. There isn't. There isn't. You can have harmony, and harmony simply means that when you are at work you're present at work and when you're at home you're present at work at home because if you said well I'm going to do work life balance and I'm going to do 50-50 or 60-40 or whatever it is and and you know that's the way it's going to work for me and I'm excited about it and you're at work and the school nurse calls and says, your daughter got hurt on the school playground, and you said, you know what, I'm in my 60% at work, so just wait a little while because I'll be in my 40% pretty soon. That's, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just ridiculous. I kind of term, I make the terminology more about harmony. And so do you have to reformulate it? You don't have to reformulate it. You just have to know that when you are home, you are home, and you are, you are present, and you're not constantly picking up your phone and looking at your computer and everything else. You need to be present. And the same thing when you're at work. You're at work, you're doing your work. It, it, it's a little bit, I mean, it sounds a little bit harsh maybe, but I don't think so because I really truly believe that we have to have harmony, and the biggest problem we have is that we are not present wherever we are. It wouldn't matter if you said, I'm, I have 50-50 and it's working for me if you're not present where you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's, that's the biggest true. thing,
2: and I think that, that's one of the things that our, we're not teaching our children, our grandchildren, the millennials, whatever, whoever you want to call them, we're not teaching them. They have to be present where they are. Put the phone down, put the tablet down, and just be present. And I think that's part that's of true. the whole uh, harmony.
1: So true, so true. I love the term that you use in your book, servant leadership. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, the funny part is when I first moved to Dallas, everybody told me, I'm a servant leader, I'm a servant leader, I'm a servant leader. I had never heard it before. I would never heard mm-hmm. the term before. And so I thought, well, you know, I must be missing something, and maybe I am a servant leader. <laughs> I had no idea what it was. So, I, of course, I had to go to Cousin Google and look it up, and I thought, oh, okay, now I get it. Everybody's been doing it for centuries, but now they have a term mm-hmm. for it. And a servant leader means you're doing something for some for other people and something that's bigger than yourself and you know it it, it could be something that is a charitable um contrib- a charitable function it could be it could be almost anything that you're doing that's bigger than yourself but sometimes it just means that you're doing something for others rather than doing it for yourself you're doing it for them with no expectation of any kind of return uh, reciprocity. You want to make sure that you're giving. You want to make sure that you're doing for others so they can succeed. And a servant leader just they you know they give 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 give. There's so many people that tell me that they're servant leaders and they truly are. And there's others that you know just I don't know. It's a it's an incredible. It's just it's all about serving others. You're giving your time. Mm-hmm. You're giving your you're sharing your knowledge. You're creating opportunities for people. You know, it's, it, it's really what it is.
1: That's true. Can male leaders benefit from walking on the glass floor?
2: Yes, 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 yes. How many of us, how many men do you know that are trying to get more women into their companies, are trying to get more women into leadership, are champions for women? That, that yes, they can definitely, absolutely, positively benefit from it. And they can also offer, you know, give the book to the women that are in their lives and have them, benefit from it as well but it is it's really for it really is about women who lead but wouldn't you want to know some of the things that make women tick yes of course you would that we're 50% of the workforce
1: so of course you would want that wonderful That's my thought anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> i agree with that i think leadership Yay. requires the yin and the yang and yep. Women in leadership requires the masculine side of the equation as well as the feminine side. And for men, you have the masculine side, but you do need the feminine touch to be effective. Without question.
2: Without question, because we, we can teach each other so many different things and to be mm-hmm. leaders that we, we're sharing our qualities, we're sharing our knowledge, we're sharing our experience and our expertise. Can you just imagine how much better companies would function if we actually would say, okay. Let's do this. Mm
1: -hmm. So true. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. In your years of experience, you have gone through in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, the 90s, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Do you think women in leadership is a generational issue?
2: Um, I don't know if it's necessarily generational. I think that each generation does have their own qualities, but I also think that there are so many more women that are, um, collaborating and doing things together and sharing their expertise. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily, a, a you know, a, a generational issue. I just think it's more of a generational asset because we mm-hmm. can learn so much from each other if we're just open to it. You know, people say, well, I can't learn anything from a millennial, and a millennial say I can't learn anything from a boomer. Well, yeah, you can because we all have different qualities if you're just open to it. And I see it all the time that women of different generations are working together. So I don't, th- I don't think it's an issue. I think it's more of an asset.
1: Very interesting. What I meant by that is the older generation, you have the boys club. The new generation, because of the fact that men and women are a lot closer now, I mean, when we look at the younger generation, the millennials, they're much more cohesive with the genders, so to speak, that it certainly permeates into the business world as well.
2: Right. But what happens when the millennials who are cohesive with their male counterparts work Mm -hmm. for a company where it's all, you know, the leadership are all um, male boomers? Uh, mm-hmm. Or and they have mm-hmm. female boomers there too. I mean, so you know it, right. that's what I'm saying. So it's it, they they do get a little bit of a dose of it. And yes, mm-hmm. it's still the good old boys club. Um, we're you know we're trying to make sure that we can stand our own and not have to worry about the old boys club. But it's going to exist for uh, more decades than we would like to. <laughs> it's it, it's here. I mean, it's there. That, right. But you know, some of the men are saying that there's some of the good old girls clubs now. So I don't know.
1: so true where can someone go to buy your book get more information about you and your workshops
2: Okay, so if you want to buy the book you can go to Amazon to buy the book or you can go to walkingontheglassfloor.com and we have special bonuses today the, for the next couple of days, which are really awesome. They're from some of our, the, our launch supporters. You can go to sellinginaskirt.com, and you can see all about the workshops and uh, some of the great things that we're doing. You can see about the show. You can see about the speaking engagements and things like that. So sellinginaskirt.com and walkingontheglassfloor.com.
1: One of the things I like what you're doing is the foundation. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit more about The Walking on the Glass Floor Foundation.
2: So, you know, one of the things that we were trying to do, and like I said, you know, helping one woman a day turned into the foundation. So we thought that if we can help more women whether they are in the um, the leadership positions, emerging leaders, in the underserved uh, communities. If we can help more women get to leadership positions, that's really what we want to do. So people are donating to the foundation. A portion of the proceeds from the book are going to the foundation. And then we're just going to give back um, donations. So uh, when companies come in and they want to sponsor us for an event or they buy, you know, tens of thousands of books, we give back a percentage of that to their foundation, to their companies, to their social causes, to their scholarships. So it isn't about us, you know, who we want to support per se. It's about who um, companies want to support. And that's a big deal. You know, there's so many people that have amazing uh, causes, whether it's domestic violence or whether it's cancer or whether it's, you know, what, it doesn't matter what it is. We are going to be able to support them as well. So... It it really is a win 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 win.
1: Wonderful. By the way, as we close the show, since our show is about people, family, and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe for living to all our listeners this morning?
2: I think the biggest thing to share is to uh, be kind and be grateful because no one is promised tomorrow. We already have seen things in the news where you never know what's going to happen. I just think be kind kind to people that you love and be kind to people you don't know and be grateful for what you're given. And just remember that, you know, there are people that want to support you. You just need to ask, and you also have to be able to receive when they offer.
1: Wonderful. Judy, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, March 13. My guest will be Dr. Jared Fisher. He is a forensic neuropsychologist and the chairman of the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. He is currently spearheading a project to educate families about traumatic brain injuries often suffered by active-duty military. Dr. Fisher and I will be having a conversation about his passion in helping military children cope with a brain-injured parent, as well as the Blue Star Family Organization as well. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Judy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day.
2: Same to you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Introducing McDonald's new $123 menu with favorites for $1, $2, or $3. Like the McChicken, the Bacon McDouble, the Happy Meal, and. Oh, we can get away with the husband and kids? Uh, no. But the $123 menu could help you save for one. Especially if we leave the kids at home. With Grandma, of course. Oh, yeah. Build whatever meal you want with favorites on McDonald's new $123 menu. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal introducing mcdonald's new one two three dollar menu with favorites for one two or three dollars like the mcchicken the bacon mcdouble the happy meal and a weekend getaway with the husband and kids uh no but the one two three dollar menu could help you save for one especially if we leave the kids at home with grandma of course oh yeah build whatever meal you want with favorites on mcdonald's new one two three dollar menu Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.